Good day, I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I have traveled around the world to one, I have to say, one of my favorite cities in Asia is Hong Kong. And I'd like you to meet Shelley Govila, who is the organizer of TEDx Wan Chai. Wan Chai is a district in Hong Kong, I have learned. Shelley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And so um, I'm curious, because uh, I'm we've done 40 something shows now. So I'm trying to remember, did you, how did you hear about hacking the red circle? Well, I pretty much heard about it from you when I met you at Ted Fest in New York, but I'd also seen, uh, heard some of the shows before then, because um, this, this show is incredible for organizers. I think it gives us so much insight into what, you know, events are doing around the world especially when you're in a part of the world like Hong Kong. Um, all of my interaction over the last few years had been with Asia-Pacific organizers. Right. So TED Fest already was such such an eye-opening experience because I got to hear from organizers in other parts of the world. Um, but you still don't really, you know, in a 10-minute conversation, you don't get to hear so much about their event. Um, and I think that's why your show has been so incredible for us. So we've also been passing it around within the team um, and also to other organ. Um, other TEDx events within Hong Kong. So you're famous, Mark. You're, uh -oh. you're well known here. Uh-oh, uh-oh. How many um, <laughs> TEDx's are in Hong Kong? Because Hong Kong's not that big. Yeah, Hong Kong is quite small. But um, I think the exciting thing here is a lot of schools and universities do TEDx's. Right. So even though I think on a city level, we only have maybe two or three big ones, uh, which would be TEDx Wan Chai, then of course TEDx Hong Kong, um, and TEDx Mong Kok, which is basically the local yep. um, Cantonese event. Yep. But the rest are all university and school events. So I would say at most times there are about 15 licenses that oh are active. My goodness. And then that kind of, yeah. And then that goes up and down, obviously, on a month to month basis, but 15. And these can be anywhere from, you know, your 50 people right, um, event right. to the ones we do, which are a thousand plus. How many people are in your event? Um, we've done a lot of different kinds of them, but our last one in October, which was the main stage, that was 1,200. Um, and that was easily, easily our biggest. We've usually done 500 to 600. When did you, yeah. um, when did you first get involved with TED or TEDx? What was your origin story? Uh, origin story. So that was about six plus years ago uh, when I moved from India to Hong Kong to attend the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology um, to get a business degree. Oh. And I was, uh, along with a friend, we were just amazed that a university of that caliber didn't have its own TEDx. Um, so we decided to just, just get it off the ground. Um, and it was it was just something that a bunch of kids were doing, but 
it became huge very quickly because there was a clear thirst for it, yes. especially in Hong Kong. If you've mm. ever studied here, you will see it's very driven by just grades and uh, what will you do when you graduate? And, you mm. know, typically you go into banking or finance or engineering. Um, so there was a very serious need for people to see arts and diversity and culture. And that's mm. what we really wanted to bring through that TEDx event. Um, and then when I graduated, I joined the TEDx One Chai team because I didn't want to latch on to university like, like a sad person. <laughs> And just stay there. So, so now, yeah. so you went to, what was your first year at Wan Chai and what did you do? First year at Wan Chai was 2014. Um, and we were working on an event pretty much when I joined in May after graduation. And our first event then happened in August. So there I was very much in a marketing role. Um, and marketing's really just been my whole key role in TEDx over the years. But now obviously as an organizer that has grown to, um, curation, partnerships, sponsorships, all of the rest. But marketing really remains at the crux of what I do. So that's social media, all your website stuff, but also partnerships um, in Hong Kong, you know, whether that's with magazines or with other platforms that are very keen on just bringing their audience to our uh, theaters. Um, and yeah, so marketing and I would say partnerships is really what I do. And your day job is you work for a big PR firm, right? Yes, uh, a communications agency here in Hong Kong, but it's um, it's a New York based agency. So there, I do your proper, you know, public relations, digital, social media, um, and again, partnerships comes into play there as well. So what, what's interesting though is is figuring out how to leverage what you're trained at, what you're really good at, and apply that as mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to that's your superpower that you you know. I you would bring. say it's the. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. No, that's what I was saying. I think for me, it has worked the other way around because I have picked up this superpower uh, via TEDx and applied it uh. in my job versus learning it from my job. Because um, I've been doing this for now six years while I've only been in the workforce for two plus. So it's it's definitely been the other way around for me. Oh, I love that. So um, that's that's fantastic. So the thing. So if you're a team member and you're listening to this, this the thing that you're doing or you're experiencing. Uh, working on the team might actually help you back on the job. So that's very interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. So how many, oh, you, so you've done and six, you've done six shows. Is that right? Um, well, yeah, a main stage every year, but within TEDx Chai, we also do salons and um, just smaller events like open mic nights and things like that. So I think the number would be much higher, but yes, six large main stage events for sure. Tell me about open mic night. I've heard that a couple of times and I, I don't really understand it enough to know because I, it, it intrigued me. Tell me, tell me more about that. Why, why do you do open night mic night? Um, okay. So first of all, um, TEDx Wanchai right now is, organized by me and Martine McKenna, who you may have met at TED Fest as well. She's this fiery Scottish uh, girl here in Hong Kong. And we do we do the show together. So she she came up with this brainchild about two years back because Hong Kong is at this brink of, you know, curation is a tricky business here. We want to make sure our stage has, um, of course, an equal mix of genders, but also an equal mix of, you know, local Hong Kong people, um, expats in Hong Kong, international people from over the world, some mainland Chinese people, because it's, uh, you hear East meets West, um, East meets West sure, as a sure. phrase all the time, but Hong Kong really is the place for that. Um, 
so curation was becoming a little tricky because our team was very expat at the time. And everyone on our stage, we were starting to notice, was reflecting um, the team itself. So we started doing open mic nights to really dig into the local community um, because people are a lot more comfortable with doing two to three minute pitches, um, you know, in a bar versus sending long, detailed links and descriptions of what they've achieved in life and things like that. And we also thought it was a quick fire way of seeing their presence uh, and how they put themselves on stage, because a big part of being a TED speaker is not just having the idea, but being able to communicate yep, it. Yep. Um, so, so in that sense, TED, the open mic nights have been fantastic because we just put out um, a call for people with an idea. Um, and of course, we still have to curate this list. So it's not entirely an open mic, uh, but we take it down to about 22 to 25 people. Uh, we keep it in a very low key, casual environment. So like I said, typically a bar or uh, last time it was in a music store that had a large event space. Um, and we just turn it into a fun evening. It's not like a so how big of a, event. How big, how big of an audience do you have? It's, it's not just the, so the jury. Can... It's I mean, there's a lot of people listening, right? Yes, so it's about uh, the last one was about three hundred people. Oh my gosh! Um, but yeah, but the fun part of it is they are the jury. It's a three hundred people jury. Um, all of them were given kind of rating cards uh, where they voted speakers based on their idea, based on their presentation, based on whether they felt like these three minutes were quite enough or they actually wanted to hear more from them um, right. and things like that. And then, so of course, kind of collating that data later was a bit painful because this was literally pen and paper, <laughs> but um, it was brilliant. We found people that we would have never found just via, you know, via looking into our circles. Right. Um, yes, it's it's definitely been a winning formula for us and something we plan on doing absolutely every year. In addition to the open mic, then, do you have a call for participation or is that the only way to get on your stage? Um, no. So, of course, this. So from this, we only pick about three to five speakers, depending right. on just um, the quality. But then the rest, of course, your usual curation practices kick in. We do um, we do open curation. We put out, you know, requests for um, people to send in their applications and we go through that list. And of course, if there are big high flyers on there, we can't ask them to come and stand in an open mic. So then <laughs> all of that, there's a separate interview process there. Right. And right. um there's a lot of bits and pieces. And then some people who've just always been on our bucket list, like we flew oh. in, uh, you know, Amy Vital, the Nat Geo photographer this year. We flew in Amy Sterling, who's the TEDx MIT curator and um, neuroscientist and all of that. So we, we obviously have our big list. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we really want to bring a lot of, lot of local flavor in there. And I think the open mic and the open kind of registration online, that really brings that in. So you mentioned flying people in, so that that sounds like budget. So that's oh, yeah. where the partners come in to help make Absolutely. all that happen, right? Yes. So we we actually last year our partners were Asia Miles. Um, so we we they were kind enough to give us budget basically to fly in three speakers, um, and we were very careful with who, who those three speakers were. But uh, yeah, we we I think the one trick we learned uh, quite early on was to not go begging for money. Um, and to start begging that? for hold it. Hold it. What does that mean? Don't go begging for money. Instead, do what? So I think I think it's easy to just you know you instantly walk into a room and the everyone in that room knows you're there for money. <laughs> uh, and we found it easier to convince Busted. people to give us 
their services or their skills versus giving us cash. Because at the end of the day, we re- of course, we need money to put on an event, but there's only yeah. so much of that. If instead of getting people to give us money that we spend on water, we get a water sponsor or instead right. of, you know, getting money to mm. pay caterers, we get catering partners. Um, and that is just something we have found to work a lot better. So up until last year, we were trying to find big cash sponsors so we could then pay for any flights. Uh, but instead, this year, we just went to airlines and we went to uh, people like Asia Miles and asked them to donate miles. Um, so I think that is that is something that has worked quite well for us. Oh, I um, love that. And I think that is something, yeah, I think something all organizers should think about. It's just not something that strikes you instantly, but it's a lot more effective. We found. We've, we've heard this a lot on the show where it's don't ju- just, again, go find where who who might benefit from being associated with a brand, but has a good or service. So like in our case, we do something called tastes of TEDx. And so I have mm-hmm. a brand around the food. So everything that we do, it's breaks, it's it's the coffee, it's the the after party, it's the speaker mixer, it's the you know, the little things that we do. Everything is an opportunity for some craft food purveyor um or mm-hmm. entrepreneur who does fermentation or they're launching a new something something. To me that's mm-hmm. an idea it's a taste worth spreading, right? So it's like you can be a part of the TED ecosystem with that thing that you do. And let's, and, and Santa Barbara's fairly well known for our, you know, fresh produce and our organic growers and all of those things. So it's kind of a way for us to call attention to it, but, but it also defers costs, right? It reduces uh, the, the out of pocket costs. Exactly. So, yep. um, so I'm going to assume you've been to many of the TEDx's in Hong Kong. Have you gotten off the island to go see, uh, other than TED Fest, have you gone to other TEDx's out in the world? Yes. Uh, the, a couple of us from the team went to TEDx Shanghai last year, oh, which was, again, because, wow. yeah, Chinese TEDx's uh, run on a pretty different level. So this was, I think it was an audience of 200. Um, I'm not sure if you've met Richard Chu, but he's like the godfather of TED here in Asia. I think oh. he was one of the first people to bring TED to will this you, part of the world. Will you introduce me, please? I would love to, Absolutely. Love to have him um, on the show. Absolutely. I will check in with him. But he is he's really one of the first people who brought Ted here. So uh, TEDx Shanghai is his uh, his event. And uh, it was quite interesting. It was um, held in the Shanghai Tower, which is a brand new construction. Mm. Just you can't see the top of it if you look from oh the ground. And it's, <laughs> it's it was interesting. Uh, we've also done TEDx Singapore. Um, well, not Dave's. so much TEDx Singapore, but. Yeah, Dave's exactly. I believe you've had him on the show, but not, not yet. Two I'm, I'm years, working on him. Not yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think about two years back, he organized TEDx Weekend in Singapore for organizers, um, mm. and I think that also was my first foray at meeting other TEDx organizers in the region. So it was a stellar event right from the get-go. Right. But he was also very careful. You can see how proud he is of his community of Singapore. Um, so he organized tours where we could go, you know, explore. Oh we gosh. went to a water plant and we went to, um, you know, those artificial trees that Singapore is known for, where there yep. are gardens and parks on the top yep. of it. Yep. Um, so just things like that. I think I think it's so good for us to go and talk to other organizers and actually get to see them in their environment. 
so we've done the same thing right after TEDx Wan Chai last year. We held uh, like an organizer's workshop the very next yep. day on Sunday. Um, and we had all of your uh, Taiwan Taipei organizers. We had uh, so many people from Thailand, uh, the oh TEDx Thailand team. Yeah, Chiang Mai especially is a very big one there. Um, then a lot of the local TEDx's, universities, schools. Um, and yeah, so it was in Singapore, of course. Singapore always comes to our events. So it's um, Hong Kong really is just a very easy place to get to if you're in the area. So it just made sense to bring people together here and share best practices and horror stories and see what what well, we can learn. I, I hope that um, I'm going to send you a bunch of posters, uh, postcards that you can have for the next organizers workshop. Uh, I, I've got a question. Absolutely. And I, and this one, I, I just don't understand how you do it because I'm, I'm jealous a little bit. You know how much energy it takes to produce an event. I mean, it's, it's oh, yeah. staggering, right? I mean, it's a lot of work. Yep. And at that after party, you, you know, we're done. Like everything worked great. Everybody's high fiving you and giving you the love and there's all that's happening. The team's excited. The speakers are happy. The partners are ecstatic. The audience is thrilled. Some will say the best day of the year for them. Yeah. However, the next day you're running a workshop <laughs> for 20 plus yeah. people. That just sounds insane to me. And I, and, and I know this is like, this is, just proves that we're all crazy, I guess. Uh, but oh, yeah. TEDx, there's, there are many, 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 many organizers who have a workshop the day after. Me, I, I just want to go to Hawaii. I, I just want to get on a plane and, and <laughs> go take a break. Um, but Kimberly, my wife, who, who helps, uh, and she's a speaker coach and does that. And that's what we did for years. We would just jump, we're, we're out of here and we just need a break. But it takes her five days for her brain to slow down, right? Because you know what mm -hmm. that's like, right? It's just there's so much going on. So I, I guess that works. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from that. What what is it about the Hong Kong TEDx? Do you think that is is unique? And you've seen so many. You've been to workshops. You've talked to organizers. You you were at TED mm -hmm. Fest. You got to see a lot of this. What is it that makes your TEDx unique? Um, well, I think first thing that makes our events stand out within the region is the production. Our production is genuinely, you know, we've, we have this running joke in our team that even if we were to put absolutely the dullest, most boring of speakers on our stage, people would love it just because of how beautiful it looks. Mm. Um, so we, we, we work with the House of Dancing Water team, which is a show produced in Macau. Um, and they are, it's basically Cirque du Soleil of Asia. And oh that team, gosh. the stage manager, yeah, and the sta stage manager there just got involved with us because she was also looking for, um, you know, something to just do after work. But because she brought so much expertise and she loved what we were putting on, she she said, oh, let me just bring my sound guy. Let me bring my, oh my lighting gosh. guy next time. And oh, and no. it just turned into this, this multi, it looks like a multi-million production and it's done on a shoestring budget. So it just looks beautiful. And what year, uh, I'll what send year? you photos and videos. So, so uh, they got involved last year. And Sorry, what, no, 2015. Okay. And then you did a 2016 yeah. show. So we had 2015, yeah. 2016. And if you, do you have a show coming up this year? Well, uh, this year we're focusing on salons. So they also helped us with our first salon in May. Got it. 
So I want to um, yeah, and send me a link. On. Send me a link to the yeah. prettiest show you prettiest talk you've got. I want to I want to put that in there. And if you did any making of or behind the scenes videos, send us a link to that because mm-hmm. I'm I'm finding that our listener let you know once you get excited about it, you go to the show notes and then you see, and like we just did, um, uh, the Antarctica, the South Bay show and oh, they trends. had, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had, uh, yeah. all those, um, the videos of the make, it was just all this great content. I says, well, hold it. Let me just put yeah. it there. So if you've got some, I, I would love to see that. Let me, let me now you've, you've done the show for a few, a few years and you've been around, you've done this. Is there a, at this point, still at being as experienced as you are, is there still a surprise for you in all of this? I think the audience reaction still surprises me. I don't know if that's the best answer to give, but, um, and I think the best example of this is the May salon that we did. It was one of our smallest. Um, it was a 300 people event and we've done, you know, those large, large ones where obviously everyone is gasping and awing at all the right moments and crying when we want them to and things like that. But, uh, the event in May, it was very specifically on art uh, because Hong Kong in the month of March gets hit with just, you know, Art Basel and this art event and that art event. And it's just become a social event of the season. Mm. Um, so we really wanted to bring art to the forefront in a way that, you know, it's not all about the galleries and what you put on your walls. So we had people who are doing art as a form of activism, people who are doing it as a form of self-expression, people who are doing it to um, kind of cure uh, their loneliness or to just make themselves more social, um, things like that. So it was a very interesting, different spin on it. Uh, But it was small. It was for a very, obviously, the audience we knew would be quite curated. They would be from that world. Um, And we frankly weren't very, um, I don't know how to put this, we weren't very convinced that the show was going to be good because the team itself didn't have a strong background in art. Um, so we had done our best, as you always do, but sure. uh, the audience reaction was just incredible. I remember the whole day we were standing at the back watching it and asking ourselves, how is this working? Like, how did we pull this off? How is this? This is actually a good show. Um, so <laughs> I think the audience reaction always surprises us because Hong Kong, it's easy to write it off as a small city, but there is a thirst for the most niche of concepts, the most right. niche of ideas. Right. We could do an entire salon on gaming and it would... Uh, you know, turn out perfectly. We could just focus on the brain and we would find speakers and ideas and an audience that is thirsting to hear for it. So I think just there's no such thing as with our main stage, of course, the job is to bring the most diverse and global uh, of ideas to our stage. But the salons are really what I, I love doing salons because you can really pick a topic and dig so far deep into it that people walk out feeling like they got a whole new um, understanding of it. I, you explained that perfectly. So someone who is listening for the first time or they're a first time organizer, they're considering it. There's two kinds of license. There's the main event license where diversity of idea is very, very important. Like this year we're doing the ocean human trafficking and invention versus innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tried to, I said, okay, how can I find three wildly diverse things and then <clears throat> fill in the gaps uh, as opposed to what you said, which was, we're going to do a show on art, but we're going to do all the non thing, the things you don't think about in art. 
right? I like the mm-hmm. art in activism. And that is a salon allows you to do a deep dive on that. It's also yeah. a, a little easier, I think, on getting partners uh, who are uh, want to be attached to that and, and want to uh, help fund that. So I, I love, but, but for the smaller organizations, how many people on your team, by the way? Um, it rotates quite a bit, but I think it's a fixed team of about eight people. Eight, eight people on the core team. So <laughs> yeah. okay, you're yeah. killing me here. Um, so you have eight people on the team. Then how many day of volunteers will you have? Uh, day off, of course, changes based on how big the theater is. Last time we had close to 50. Yeah. And in a salon. But of course, when we do salons and stuff, there's no need for more than, you know, 10, 12. Got it. So, right. So you can do it on a, on a small amount. Of, the, the the reason I ask this is I've rebooted my organization this year and like we'll do mm-hmm. our main event in November but I really want to do a youth. I want to do women. I want to do salon. I mean, I want to do it all. And the team's looking at me like, dude, we have day jobs, oh, yeah. you know, it was like, <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> yeah. So it's but like, I, think, I think our trick there is we have like a very divide and conquer system going on in our team. So we don't bring the whole team together for all things at all times. Cause that will get very taxing. We have, uh, like you were saying, you know, how do organizers do a workshop the very next day? Yeah. We have someone who's, sole purpose is to make that workshop happen. We don't involve him too much uh, in the event day itself because he's too busy putting that together. So it also takes the pressure off the team a little bit. Um, mm. And I think it's just easier to do it that way because right, like you said, afterwards, we just want to go home. Right. Um, right. So all we have to do next day is show up. And then we have someone on our team who deals with the youth and diversity scholarships, which is a program we carried out two years ago. Um, so they don't really have to spend too much time on curation and uh, production or any of that. They just right. have to make the scholarships happen. Then the rest of the teams kind of, everyone gets involved in some way or the other on a curation level because everyone wants to recommend speakers. But yes. otherwise we have pretty clear teams. Um, and then, you know, for the women, uh, when we did the women's event two years back, of course there were people on the team who were a lot more interested and excited about that. So we got them involved a little more and then in the main stage, someone else would show up who wanted to be mm. more involved. So even though it's a core team of seven to eight who are involved with most things at all times, we have an extended team of another maybe six or seven people um, who come and go on a more you know ad hoc basis. Because we the whole point of TEDx is passion. And if you're yeah. not feeling it for this event, like if we're doing an art event and you just can't find yourself to care about art, there's no point in you devoting time to it. Um, so that's, I think that's something we really try to put into practice because this is not something that should start feeling like work. Oh, if it feels like work, go get a new job, right? It's just, you don't want exactly. it. It's, it's not, it is not work. It is, you're right. It's a passion. There's, um, I talked to Doug Coleman, who is the head of TEDx Jacksonville. I've not posted that show yet. Uh, it's, it's due out mm-hmm. any week, but he talks about a, a Japanese concept called Ikigai which is um, where your passion and your desire and your skills and everything match and that there's a sweet spot in the middle of that. And he tries mm-hmm. to find what that thing is in people as he's interviewing them to come onto the team. Uh, do you, and then he, then he, he knows how to put the right person in the right spot. Do you have a lot of turnover in your team or has your team been pretty solid year to year? 
Well, I mean, Martin and I have been around for three years now. Um, yes. So I think if you keep the lead, and Vinny, uh, who I haven't mentioned yet, I can't believe I haven't mentioned it. He's the one who kind of got both of us onto this. That's Vincent Ng, and he was the curator three years ago. Um, so he kind of recruited us, um, and he he rebooted the team like you're doing. It was an all-new team in 2014, even right. though TEDxWanchai has been around since 2011, I believe. Um, so since then, the main people have kind of stayed involved, but then that's only about, say, four of us. Yeah. Um, and Hong Kong also, as a city, is such a it's kind of a layover city for people in their careers. You know, uh. they come, they try things. And then they move on. So a lot of our turnover is because people have just gone on to do different things in different cities. Um, but then some people just, you know, they want to scale up their contribution. Some want to scale it down if they're starting new jobs. So it's, yeah, it, it changes quite a lot. But I think like the main people driving our partnerships, main people diving, driving our diversity, youth issues, um, those have kind of stayed. They've stayed in place. They've just maybe put one or two people under them to take the pressure off. Yeah, I we, we strongly encourage um, having a second and be kind of shadow training someone, right? That yeah. really helps. It also helps just to be able to bounce ideas off of, of other people. Absolutely. As you as you know, listening to the show, I, uh, I think every great story has got some conflict, some drama in it. I call it a dragon. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fond of dragons. Uh, thankfully, uh, Game of Thrones has brought dragons back this season. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, oh so, um, it's made all of us so happy. I, <laughs> <Galici>. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's the biggest dragon for TEDx One Chai? Um, I think, and I feel like this is a thing for all the organizers, just partnerships. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's, it, it obviously varies in level. Um, I know some TEDx's are very good with locking in partners for long-term relationships so they don't have to deal with it event to event. Uh, that's something we struggle with here in Hong Kong uh, because most companies only want to get involved for an event and then you have to redo it all over again. So I think partnerships would be the biggest dragon. Um, but I think also just team spirit, you know, you have to keep people inspired and happy at all times because this is something you're asking them to do outside of their day jobs, uh, outside, it's something that doesn't really pay, um, pay to sustain your life. It's just all you can promise right. is that you will be constantly inspired and excited when you do this. So you really have to live up to that promise. So we try to do a lot of, um, and we, we really need to uh, get back into it because we've had a bit of a break since the last event, but we try to do, you know, just team gatherings where we mm. don't talk about Ted, where we don't <laughs> talk about the next event, where we just meet and we share a few drinks and a few laughs and watch silly videos and meet at someone's house and order a ton of food. And so we really try to do um, things that make us feel better uh, to be together as a team. Um, and I think that would be because Hong Kong is just You've lived here, so you know it's a very stressful city. It's a very fast-paced, yep. stressful yep. Yep. Uh, city. So you have to make sure if you're doing things outside of work, they have to really not feel like work. Um, so we try to turn it into just a, just a fun thing you do with friends. Um, but you do have deadlines and you do have to deliver. Yeah, I, I'm. I, <laughs> I love that idea. We. Um... We could use with a little more of that. And I, I'm, that's a great, I'm going to take that as a piece of advice for veterans and first timers, which is to get together for, we call them no agenda meetings, right? It's just like, yeah. hey, we're just getting together. There's no agenda. We're just going to have fun. And I love that. What, um, 
What are you looking forward to in your next? You're going to do a salon next, but if we look forward to the next couple of years. What, what's in the cards mm-hmm. for TEDx Wanchai? What are you looking forward to? Well, we have another uh, two salons to go, probably this year and then early next year. Uh, but we are hoping to have our next main stage next summer because spaces in Hong Kong are a big issue. Um, so it's very much driven by, you know, when the theaters and venues are available. But I think our, our theme for next year, we've been playing around with it internally. Some, it's something we're very excited about. Um, this is an exclusive because we haven't really figured it out yet. But I think we're going to go with something like small is the new big because we've oh. seen so Hong Kong, is, Hong Kong is exploding with just big, grandiose, exciting new ideas. You know, the RISE conference, the biggest tech conference in the world, that happens here. Um, And it's so just, it's incredible to walk into that room and see all these entrepreneurs with the next big invention. Um, But what is not happening so much in Hong Kong is addressing local issues at a very small scale. Because, you know, if you go step by step by step, that's how you fix an issue. You don't come up with a brand new invention and instantly there's no more poverty or things like that. So that's something we really want to bring to our stage next year. Um, you know, local people, local champions who are doing things that you would think are quite small and generic, but they're the ones driving the real impact. I think that's the event that I'm I'm really looking forward to um, after both of our salons, because that's something our, our stage has become known for having exciting new mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I feel like personally, I feel like we haven't done enough to really champion the local artists. And that's what we want to do. So, so stay on that for a second, because I, I think you said mm-hmm. a couple of things. One is that you've become known for the good ideas. So I think brand reputation is really important and you totally understand that. Yeah. Like there is a, yep. there's a, there's a TEDx, there's a TED brand, there's a TEDx brand that frequently get mushed together in the eyes of, mm-hmm. of the, of our ecosystem, uh, as much as we try to say it, TEDx is independently organized event and all those things, the speaker says, yes, I did a TED talk. Well, no, you did a TEDx. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I did a TED talk. Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, but, but building the TEDx Wan Chai brand as distinctive as others so that you become a center of gravity. So ideas come to you. Um, and that's why you're able to fill a bar with 300 people and open mic nights with 25. I mean, that's just, because people want to get on that stage, right? I love, I love that you're already working on your theme. I love the theme itself. And even though theme is not required, it is an optional thing mm-hmm. when we go to fill out our license. Uh, for me, I don't even know how to think about the next year until I have a theme. <laughs> I can't even do that. And I'm yeah. curious with you, um, what is like what comes is the theme the first thing that you you as a team come up with and then start to figure out the other bits uh yes and that is i we found that to be um a good thing but also a challenge at many times because mm. then we realized there's a point where we're looking for speakers that fit the theme versus just looking for good speakers um mm. so i believe that's an education process we go through every year where we have to get together and remind ourselves, let's not limit ourselves by the theme because the theme can be changed. Uh, If you meet a truly incredible speaker, let's not write them off because they don't fit under our big, vague umbrella. So uh, theme is just something that we start with just because it gives us a bit of an anchor. Right. Um, And it, 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 we have changed our themes over multiple months because the curation process starts, you know, 
seven to eight months in advance. So that can always change. I think it just gives us a good anchor point. Um, and it also just gives the team an excuse to get together for that first big meeting where we're going to come up with that one big idea. Right. Um, right. I think more than anything else, it's just a direction for the team. Um, and then beyond that, if we see our lineup is actually starting to look like something else, the theme can be changed. It's not, it's not set in stone. I, uh, I, I, love, I love that thinking about it. I don't know how well I personally would work with the, the, the flexibility of the theme changing because I use that to drive set design. To, I mean, this afternoon I was over at the theater with our set designer and our head of production looking at the scale model and how they were going to execute it because his job is to mm -hmm. take the theme this year, it's outside in and how to visualize that. So if I were to come to him three months later and said, oh, no, now we're looking at small as the new big. He would like, you yeah. can't do that to me. So, so, I, yeah. so we, we, yeah, yeah. it rolls around everything. What, what is, um, you know, as we, we think about, you know, our, our next events and we think about the things that we want to do. And you said you had, a, you said earlier you had a bucket list of speakers. There was like, mm -hmm. so who's that? Tell me who that speaker is that you absolutely like, oh my gosh, you couldn't believe you get this person. I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's frankly, it's not so much names as it is people in certain positions. So for instance, you know, for our women's event, we really wanted someone from uh, the, cause Hong Kong hadn't had a TEDx women's event, uh, I think since 2009, since the very first year mm. of TEDx. So we felt a lot of pressure to do it well. Um, and that really was, I feel it was 2015 TEDx One Chai Women in May. Um, and that was the first event that Martine and I really kind of drove from the ground up. Um, it was, it was such a passion project for us. And for that one, we were very clear. We wanted, um, someone in the Hong Kong government, a woman oh. from the Hong Kong government oh. at a certain, you know, who has been involved for years yeah. and years, yeah. who can really talk to us about what it's like to be, because, um, you know, the government, as always, is still very much a male-driven um, platform in Hong Kong. And it's it's changing. We have a lot of new women in power now. But it's just something we wanted to bring to our stage. So, And we had clearly there's only so many people that could have been. So that's what I meant by a bucket list. But at Got the it. same time, you know, you want someone from you want someone from NASA and someone who <laughs> wants to go to space. And so I think that's what I mean when I say buckets. Um, and we've been quite uh, quite lucky in that sense. But of course, a lot of things come into play. Do you have the budget to fly them in and all of that? Right. Um, but yeah, every year around the theme, we come up with, you know, five or six big things that we hope will happen. Um, and then, of course, the rest changes based on the people that are actually around us. That's it's probably the most fun, right? That once you and once you have your cohort, like we just settled on our speakers and so we, our mm -hmm. orientation is tomorrow. And I, that's my favorite time where they all get to mm -hmm. meet one another. And now they're this class, right? And they get to, we found yes. that getting them to feel uh, the support of one another, including, you know, a story coach and a content coach and a performance coach, oh, and a yeah. speaker coach. And like, here's a bunch of support around you. And we've got a, there's a speaker concierge. There's all those kinds of things, right? To, mm -hmm. to, to make the... The, the experience that they have, uh, fantastic. So I, um, and, uh, the other thing I love about doing both a show, uh, TEDx Santa Barbara and this show hacking is, um, I'm 
dealing with the same problems you all are dealing with, right? On a daily basis, right? So I'm, I'm yeah. trying to learn and improve. I'm going to, so it's kind of, I'm, uh, I feel sometimes like I'm only trying to solve my problems, but I'm trying to channel our audience member here who's like, oh, well, ask her this and ask her that, Mark. So, um, if you have questions, just put them in the comments and then we'll, we'll make sure you're very, um, active on the, uh, on the TEDx Facebook group, right? So I yes. see, I see you there a lot. So, um, that's a, that's the other thing I like is, is the, all the resources we have for staying in touch with one another. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think so, it's exciting. Uh, also, I think it's just, it was my introduction to the TED world, social media. Um, right. so that's just something I'm trying to honor, I think, by being quite active, whether personally or even via the TEDx one chat page. Um, and the community, you know, you don't want to forget, they don't just exist event to event. They're right. around all the time and you right. want to make sure they don't forget you. Um, and we also keep just, we keep receiving ideas from them in our Facebook inbox of, oh, I have a suggestion for a speaker. I'm like, our next event isn't until next year, but okay, that's great. Sure. Yeah, send it right. through. So sure. things, yeah, you have to keep, you have to keep it active. And we have so many talks in the bank now, all on YouTube. You can just kind of you know, keep the community engaged with posting those every once in a while. We, that's uh, our team is doing that there as we're getting ready yeah. to run up there. They're doing that. So that I love that. And I also got, um, I had uh, Kara DeFrias who has been doing Ted since uh, 2010 in San Diego and then uh, into it. Uh, she actually mm -hmm. has a full social media strategy that she put up on the hub. And I was like, thrilled to be able to get that and share that with our team. I love how much we share with one another. So speaking of other, uh, other TEDx's, uh, I love this part as we, we start to wind down. If I can put you mm -hmm. on a magic red carpet and fly you to any TEDx in the world, which one are we going to? Um, I think Sydney's always been one I wanted to go to TEDx Sydney uh, and TEDx Vienna just looks like oh. they do incredible stuff. With their, you know, with their adventures that they did recently, which was just such an incredible new idea um, that we've, we've now been playing around with maybe trying to make that happen next year. But TEDx Sydney and TEDx Vienna, I think, are the two big ones that I would really enjoy going to. I'm going to, um, I'm working right now to get um, uh, TEDx Beacon Street on, who started the whole adventures uh, phenomenon. And uh -huh. we're going to do a special show just about adventures. Um, I love that idea. Yeah. It's one of the things I love about going to Ted, uh, in Vancouver is, and it's, it's been this way since, uh, Monterey and Long Beach. There were always things to do before the show, um, <clears throat> that mm -hmm. were just these really cool things you could never get otherwise, but because they could put, you know, 60 of us on a bus and take us to Disney studios or something, we could go do that. Uh, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And someone said, well, hold it. Why don't we do that at TEDx? And now we are. So that's fantastic. So I will, I'm going to put in a good word for you for Sydney and Vienna. And, uh, so they, I would say, love hey, that. you should, you should come. So, uh, at the end of the show, um, we call this hacking the red circle because I'm trying to figure out, as you said earlier, how you do multi-million dollar events on a shoestring budget. So what would you say is, is the hack you want to share with, uh, with this community? Um, I think the hack would be to just find, find talent in your local pools. Um, and that's really how most of this has happened. We have people who are willing to share their expertise um, without you know, charging us for it just because it's something they care about. 
Um, so I think really just dig deep into your local pools. You have no idea what you'll find. Uh, and don't try to do everything yourself. Expand your team um, and just try to build, you know, levels within it so people get, get involved and walk in and out as they wish, as long as the top the top crust stays the same because obviously someone has to run the show. But yeah, I think the hack would just be to really dig deep into your local pool. There's so much stuff waiting to be really just waiting to be discovered and being given a platform. And, and, and that is for the stage and for the team, right? It's not either one or the other. It's both. That's for, yeah, that's for everything. That's for speakers. That's for teams. That's for partners. Um, just ask people what they can offer versus telling them you need money. So th- I think that's across all that's across all the parts of a TEDx team. There's there's something uh, one of the things I love about TEDx. Just one of the things is the local focus that we have. Right. So it is the um, our ability to focus on our community and you know what is it about our community that we want to celebrate. Whether it's the food, it's the ideas, it's the universities, it's the people, it's the culture, it's the entertainment, it's the thing that we do that's different than anyone else in the world. And here is a perfect platform to share that which makes us unique with the world. And though we have a format, we have a very, you know, prescribed lane that we go down uh, with with our TEDx, yet how we choose to express ourselves and celebrate uh, the 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 very local nature, as you said, small is the new big. So thinking about uh, as a community <laughs> is fantastic. So I I would just say Shelley, thank you so much for for sharing your energy enthusiasm. Now my my listener didn't get to to see your smiling face and your bright energy, but you. <laughs> You've got a lot of you've got a lot of life spirit there. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was fun. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, listener, we, we'll talk to you next week. We'll have somebody, uh, another interesting guest from somewhere in the world. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show, or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.